You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Friday's Dine DDoS may have been the work of skids and script kitties, not high-end Russian spies. A recall of vulnerable IoT devices proceeds. Utilities see the DDoS attacks as a warning shot. They should maybe start by getting rid of all those pagers? ISIS tweaks its online messaging to point out that the caliphate is enduring a divinely ordained period of trial. Cloud Phantom Malware harvests credentials via a cloud storage app. And, fellow youths, there's some bad news and some good news. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, October 26, 2016. Last Friday's wave of DDoS attacks that took down the servers at DNS provider Dyne, on which so much Internet traffic depends, especially in the United States, now looks more like the work of skids doing it for the lulls than a nation-state security service. U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper said yesterday that it appeared to be the work of criminals and not, as many experts and non-experts speculated over the weekend, Russian intelligence. Clapper did indicate that it appeared the hackers were a multinational group, but beyond that, well, the investigation is proceeding. Flashpoint has published a study that suggests the attackers were, as CSO calls them, a bunch of amateurs, script kiddies, and dark web lurkers without specific political or criminal motivation. If correct, this assessment is not reassuring, since it implies such attacks are well within the reach of many. Other reports that the nations contributing the multinational hoods were Russia and China are also disturbing, if correct, in that both of those countries have exhibited a degree of willingness to either co-opt, use, or hire criminal hacking elements. The distributed denial-of-service attacks were mounted using Internet of Things botnets controlled by the Mirai Trojan. Security cameras and home routers were particularly implicated in the attacks. DVRs not so much, but these and most other consumer-grade IoT devices are comparably vulnerable. One major manufacturer, Hangzhou Shomai Technology, is recalling devices sold in the United States before April 2015. It says its current firmware is no longer vulnerable to Mirai-style exploitation. The company is also threatening to sue journalists blaming it for the DDoS outbreak. That's defamation, they say. A note to Hangzhou Shomai Technology, we're not blaming you, okay? Utilities, especially electrical utilities, were spooked by Friday's attacks. As Imperva told EnergyWire, quote, What the attack lacks for in sophistication, it makes up for in pure volume, end quote. It's also been noted that the Ukraine grid hack began with low-grade criminals and was co-opted by a capable nation-state, Russia, of course, by most accounts, and the same could happen with IoT vulnerabilities. Trend Micro points out one problem with the electrical power sector. Too many of its personnel still use pagers. Pagers don't encrypt their traffic, and researchers find it relatively trivial to access that traffic. Such interception is useful during pre-attack reconnaissance, and attackers can also relatively easily interject spoofed messages into the network. Given the role social engineering played in the western Ukraine grid hack, utility watchers find this unsettling. There are also some direct risks in the industrial IoT. Security firm Indigy has found a remote code vulnerability in the Schneider Electric software widely used in programmable logic controllers. Why might criminals be interested in DDoS? 
Well, someone is renting 100,000 Mirai-infected bots on the black market for just $7,500. So the attack could serve as a marketing demonstration. And of course, there's always the lulls. While apparently not so far implicated in the Mirai DDoS stampede, Russia does not appear to be idle in cyber conflict. As is usually the case, its alleged activities are deniably conducted through a third party. The Syrian Electronic Army, with Russian backing, says the victim, has defaced sites of the Belgian newspaper Newsblad to protest Belgian participation in airstrikes against Syrian targets. WikiLeaks continues to release discreditable stuff purloined from the emails of those in or close to the Clinton presidential campaign. Researchers at SecureWorks have found evidence of how the Gmail accounts were compromised, spear phishing with bogus Bitly links in bogus security warnings. U.S. officials continue to be more worried about information operations than direct, let alone global, hacking of voting machines. State authorities are being asked to be on their guard against attempts to influence turnout or confidence in election results. What success any such vigilance will have remains to be seen. There's more than enough suspicion and ill will to go around. Netscope has released a report on the Cloud Fanta credential harvesting malware. It uses the SugarSync cloud storage app for distribution, and it tends to go undetected by most network security solutions because it cloaks its malicious dynamic link library, that's DLL files, as PNGs. Cloud Fanta has been most active against Brazilian targets, but it's not confined to that country. As foreseen, ISIS is now attempting to adjust its messaging to deal with loss of key territories. It's doing so by looking for scriptural evidence that such setbacks are foreordained and in no way compromise its legitimacy. Current setbacks are part of the period of quote, preparation, tribulation, and difficulty end quote, that always figure in the divine plan. Expect this trope to become a leitmotif in the caliphate's ongoing information campaign. Wrapping up our coverage with some of the people we met last week at Cyber Maryland, Edward Hammersley is Chief Strategy Officer for Forcepoint and President of their federal division. Forcepoint just released a study called Millennial Rising, where they look at the growing number of millennials in the federal workforce and how that affects security and culture. So we started uh, thinking about this trend where roughly 7% of the current federal IT workforce is consisted of millennials, and the projections are that that uh, group uh, known as millennials will be about 75% of the workforce in a few short years. So we started thinking, what impact does that have both on hiring, training, uh, and all kinds of other issues, not only for our own company, but for the government and our customers? Typically, there's a trend to trust technology more than perhaps the older generations did. Um, there's a feeling of, you know, gee, I clicked the privacy button on Facebook, so I'm good. No, no worries about cyber, right? Um, that, of course, is changing, and that's particularly daunting in the areas of the government where DOD and Intel community practices, where cybersecurity is such a serious issue and, you know, taken very seriously across the board. To me, what uh, the finding drove home was, was how deep the sharing culture goes in the millennial uh, community. Um, everything from Uber cars to anything else, it's just things are meant to be shared. And when confronted with an environment where you're not supposed to share and you're supposed to do the opposite, uh, it almost feels like it goes against core values, you, you know? Um, 
And so that's going to be an interesting challenge for especially those parts of the government that deal in sensitive information. And I think uh, rather, I mean, of course, some training is going to be interesting and, and required, but rather than trying to change too much behavior, um, I think we just need to think about our systems and our policies and how to adapt to those things. That's Edward Hammersley from Forcepoint. And finally, speaking of Forcepoint's study of millennials and cyber, here's the bad news, fellow youths. You're careless, and you're all too willing to trade security for convenience. But the good news is a lot of you would like to get good enough about security to work in the industry. So we figure we've got that going for us, right? And if you'd like some encouraging news about us, fellow youths, look to Passcode, which at the end of last week announced the winners of its Capture the Flag competition and awarded the first Passcode Cup to a team from the University of Virginia. Congratulations to them. And congratulations also to the cyber prodigies Passcode found in their search for 15 under 15. One of the 15 under 15 is just 8 years old, which ought to make millennials feel like, well, almost baby boomers. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the director of analysis at Terbium Labs. Emily, all the work that you do in the dark web, uh, you see a lot of things. You you see a lot of uh, of questionable uh, stuff going on in there. I wanted to use credit card fraud as an example, to sort of give our listeners a window into that world. Um, what what goes on when it comes to trading, both for buyers and for sellers, of credit card information? Sure. Great question. And we do see a lot of credit card fraud. That's one of the things that I think, besides drugs, the uh, dark web is best known for. What you can think about for credit card fraud are kind of fundamentally two places where it will appear. There are these large dark web markets, Alpha Bay is one good example, that trade in any number of of items, whether it's drugs or fraud or occasionally weapons, you know, counterfeit goods. And then there are sites that are entirely designed to focus on credit card fraud trading industry secrets, what banks are the best, advertising new cards for sale. This is one of the interesting things about the dark web is that a lot of vendor success is based on reputation. So you have vendors who have been around for a while, they're known to be trustworthy and they're known to have a good stash of cards on a regular basis. And then you have new people who are trying to break into that and they're offering up samples or freebies trying to get people to vouch for them to build build credibility. 
Um, the interesting thing about kind of credit card fraud, for example, is say the price differential between a credit card and a debit card. So credit cards are on average more expensive. They range, say, from $30 to $35 a card, whereas debit cards are more in the $10 to $15 range. And this makes sense for a few reasons. If you have a debit card, then you, one, need to have someone's PIN, which you may or may not have, and two, you are limited by the funds available in that account. With a credit card, however, really all you need is the number and the other card information, perhaps. And then you are facing down someone's credit limit, which, depending on the person, may be substantially higher than what they have in their bank account. That's interesting. That's counterintuitive to me. I would have thought that, uh, I guess I just would have thought that with the actual money in a debit account that you're that you're somehow getting, it's less likely that that money will be pulled back, you know, but I guess the bad guys have ways around all that stuff. <laughs> it's interesting. There's a, there's a lot of tradecraft involved and people kind of trading, trading tips and tricks. You know, one, uh, one popular way to test the validity of cards is actually a, a toy store, an online toy store. Um, you know, it, it's funny how these things shake out. Um, and then, you know, within a card, you have things like, you know, kind of your average credit card versus platinum versus gold, you know, and, and different credit card issuers and different banks and different kinds of cards go for different prices. We see credit cards ranging up to, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars in some cases. And those are real outliers, but they do exist. And, and how do they verify a buyer so that they, you know, for example, they know it's not law enforcement? That's interesting. Um, credit card vendors tend to be less concerned about that than drug vendors because it's um, it's a digital good. In the case of drugs, you're shipping a physical product, and so then you're a bit more concerned about it. In the case of a, a credit card vendor, really, it's just an exchange of Bitcoin. And so there's there's less of a concern there. All right. Interesting stuff. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 